Welcome to Mansi, a podcast about magic and its impacts on our culture. Today, we have a set of bonus episodes for you written by Elle. In each set of episodes, we cover a different Mansi or method of magic. Did you just refer to yourself in the third person? I sure did, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm Elle Alder, a professional psychic and solitary eclectic witch. With me is my co-host, RJ Walker. I'm RJ Walker. I'm a spoken word poet and uh, writer. And uh, I'm... I'm the all-around skeptical atheist guy. Yes. So in order to give RJ a break, because he's got a lot of projects in the works right now. So many fucking projects right now. Yeah, it's just a lot. So I um, decided to write these set, this set of episodes, and this is not the story that I thought I was going to tell, I guess is the main thing that I want to say. Also, we probably sound very nasally and a little bit snuffly and there's a major major fire that's happening outside of salt lake right now i don't know if you know anything about salt lake they don't really put it in the tourist manual (laughs) but it is a bowl of pollution yeah all of the pollution gets trapped in the valley because the mountains cocoon us in our own filth so when there's a fire all the fire smoke collects in the city and just stagnates and gives everybody like congestion yeah and scratchy throats so sorry in advance for that but shall we get started are you ready all right (laughs) l regale me okay The story I've prepared is not the story I thought I was going to write. This story was literally not even on my radar until I started researching the story I thought I would share. The more I dug into the story, the harder it was to find information, and the more infatuated I became with telling it. The sources I was able to find for this are mostly paid for and maintained by people in Russia, including the Russian government. I'm pretty sure the the Kremlin is going to come after us, (laughs) uh, or the CIA, because you've been lurking around the Russian dark web. Yeah. In case you weren't aware, we are American, and that means we are constantly battling this connection is not secure messages and research, as well as using Google Translate on Chrome to read the information. I mean... When it comes to Russian sites, absolutely. Yeah, so so there's literally the, I'm going to talk more about this and like dig into, I think, kind of what was happening. But basically, I found this story and I saw that there was all of this information and I couldn't get to any of it or the vast majority of it was unavailable to me. So another issue in the, um, that I ran into during this research process is that she actually predicted COVID-19. Well. If you remember the beginning of COVID, there were all sorts of mass disinformation being spread, and part of this was her prediction. The exact verbiage of the prediction is absolutely cannot be found, but I found more than run, one reference saying that the prediction was the world will be covered in corona. Corona is the word uh, for crown in Spanish, so people didn't understand the prediction at the time. But of course, in the year of our dark lord, 2021, we know that COVID-19 is coronavirus and that our world has most certainly been covered in it. But like, that's just really hard to verify. The only source I could find that talked about her COVID prediction specifically was a debunker website posted on January 29th, 2020, before we understood how incredibly devastating COVID would be. It simply stated that her prediction was incorrect because she thought this disease would come from Africa when in reality it originated in China. A major problem with historic psychics and historic people in general is that people love to make things up and then attribute it to whomever works best. Also, a lot of the information that is anything but purely scientific on COVID has been removed from public access, which is fine. I get it. 
I, I understand that we need to do that and that that was like a very real thing. Yeah, I also imagine her predictions coming from Russia. Like in America, we had shit like Plandemic and like all these other like really bad like COVID-19 disinformation campaigns mm-hmm. and conspiracy theories. And I imagine her proximity to Russia made her kind of the catalyst for Russia's bullshit like COVID-19 conspiracy theories. And so they were probably more efficient at scrubbing that right, stuff from just the getting rid of America it. was. Yeah. So um, this just leaves some holes in the story. That's just a thing that you need to know going into this is that some of the research because of the world that we live in right now is unavailable. Some of it can't be found and some of it is only hints. So I've done my best and I think that the story is worth telling. But yes, Um I'm not sure that I can actually say that she predicted COVID, but I can say that she predicted that the 45th president of the United States would contract a mysterious illness while in office. And Donald Trump was infected with COVID in the fall of 2020. I don't know if that's a mysterious illness, though. I mean, COVID in and of itself. I think it was pretty serious. Uh, <laughs> no, at that time. I mean, but still, how much <laughs> do we really know, right? So a, a lot, actually, this is a disclaimer <laughs> that the story is very real. And there are pieces of literature, biography, film, audio tape recordings, videotapes, interviews, even entire scientific studies that have been conducted on our subject. But where I researched it from, I was unable to access anything more than what you can find about her on Wikipedia and one other website called the Encyclopedia of Baba Vanga. And you also like tried to find this documentary, but you only found this the screenplay for it in Russian. Yeah, on a website. Like, I mean, I there are probably, I think, at least five different movies that have been done about her, and I could have access to one of them, which was an artist's basically independent film in French, kind of, sort of, about her meeting her husband. Kind of. Like, that was it. Um, besides, there was an episode on ancient aliens about Baba oh, yeah, Vanga. Yeah. We, watched, so, we watched the ancient aliens episode, and we, we all know <laughs> how thorough ancient aliens is. Right. Um, so I used um, the encyclopedia of Baba Vanga, and I had to translate it with Google Chrome's Google Translate widget. Um, and this was as much as I could find combined into one spot. So there's a lot of sources. There's a lot of information that I found a lot of different places. This is the story that I found through the lenses of several narratives, and I hope the story she would want to be told about herself. Um, I have just sent RJ a, I guess, an excerpt from this website that I'm going to have him read to you so you can understand uh, what I was searching through to find this story for you guys. All right. Um, uh, This is a cold reading, so we have first time reading this. All the materials of the great Vanga Encyclopedia can be considered most reliable. Since the sources of the materials of our book about Vanga, journalists, scientists, and just people personally met with the great clairvoyant Vanga, talked with loved ones from Vanga's entourage, we publish only reliable Vanga predictions. In recent years, many new dubious and even unimaginable predictions of Vanga began to appear, which had not been previously published, and it is not clear where they come from at all, such as the end of the world wars, etc. 
the internet is simply teeming with such predictions. Whether or not to trust unverified sources is everyone's business. It is worth paying attention only to the fact of that book, Great Encyclopedia Avanga. This is the most complete and reliable collection of materials about the great clairvoyant and only online publication about Vanga. The book Great Encyclopedia of Vanga is not just a book of Vanga's predictions. It is a comprehensive view from the side of existing literary, philosophical, religious, and even folk research. To date, this is the only book about Vanga of such a volume and content that it is versatile in terms of topics. Many are looking for on the internet where to download Vanga's book. Why waste time and look for where to download a book about Vanga? If our website, you can read the materials of the Vanga Encyclopedia for free. <laughs> That's my favorite. The Vanga.ru, Vanga.ru project can be considered the most reliable and voluminous book about Vanga online. Over time, on our website about Vanga, you can read online about Vanga everything that is reliably known about the great clairvoyant. This is definitely Google Translate. Oh, yeah. So I want everyone to know, I was searching, I probably spent solid at least 10 hours on this website reading as much as I could about her in this. So I just want everyone to kind of have, to understand this is an excerpt from the website. This is talking about the project that I was using for a lot of my research. And that's what it's like. So. Oh, boy. With that. With that said... Let's dive into information from the Russian dark web. I fell in love with this woman and her life. I feel a strange kind of kinship with her nerve, compassion, audacity, and all of unapologetic psychicism. Our subject has recently come back into the consciousness of the world because she accurately predicted America's 45th pres- or 44th president would be black. She might have predicted COVID. She predicted the tsunami that struck Thailand in 2004. She predicted 9-11. This psychic has a scientific certification of being 80% accurate with her predictions and is often known for holding the harshest truth and most brutal predictions back. Mm. Born a peasant in Bulgaria in 1911, Baba Vanga is called the Balkan Nostradamus. I mean, if you refer to our Nostradamus episode, the accuracy, these predictions are vague enough to be accurate. Have you done any of this research? Wait Uh, until I tell you. Wait until I tell you. Okay. Now we're going to put the intro music here. RJ? Uh Uh-huh. Do you believe in fate? No. Do you believe that before we come into this life, there's some supreme being out there that decides what we will do with our lives? No. And if you don't believe that is true for everyone, do you believe that it's true for some? Um, I mean, people can believe what they want. Um, I didn't ask what people believe. I asked what you believe. Oh. Uh, could, could you repeat the question then? Do you believe that 
even if not everyone has a fate, some people are fated to do things. No. Okay. I think I think people create their own self-fulfilling prophecies. Okay. RJ, what is the most shocking psychic prediction that has come true that you can remember? The most shocking psychic prediction. And that, that could be, you believe in Nostradamus. Has come true. That could be, be something I've told you. It could be something you've heard from someone else. Um... Man, I'm pretty sure uh, – so, so this is one of my favorites. Um, it was predicted – so I, I grew up Mormon. Uh, so it was predicted that in the last days there would be uh, a great church like filled with money and greed and Satan would be at the helm. Uh and uh, this was something that I grew up learning, like in the church, that like the false church will arise mm. and it must be the job of the true church to take it down. And uh, in my later years, I have come to realize that the Mormon church has like $140 billion in one <laughs> shell account, yeah. making it the wealthiest church on the planet. Uh, so uh, they've sort of fulfilled their own prophecy. Okay. Well... Today, I want to tell you the story of a young girl born into poverty in a country consumed by war and revolution. Some might hear her story and say that she was perfectly destined for the life she lived. At only 12 years old, she suffered a horrible accident that left her blind. Her family was impoverished and unable to afford surgery to correct her sight. Each night, she would lie awake praying to God that he would bring her a miracle, that he would make her see again. She never regained her sight, but, but did, she... But did she get daredevil powers? But she did become the greatest clairvoyant to ever walk this earth. Okay. That's a statement, because I, I have looked at a lot of clairvoyants. Many things have been said about her. Her predictions of the future were understood by all sane people listening to a clairvoyant, which is maybe not very many sane people listening to a clairvoyant. <laughs> um, it's like... <laughs> also, she knows about the fate of missing people, solves crimes, makes medical diagnoses, talks about the past. The most amazing thing about her gift is that she tells not only about the present, but also foreshadows the future. Some people saw her gift of prediction as an ability to intervene in atrocities and viewed her as a cold, soulless person when she didn't intervene how they decided she should have. Well, I mean, that's the, the that's the, the paradox of power. Like, with great power comes great responsibility. So if God could solve every horrible thing uh, on earth, uh, why doesn't he? Because that would mean God is not all good. But uh, if he can't do it, he could be all good, but that means he's not all powerful. Mm. No matter what has been said or not said or said and then taken down, she was never anyone but exactly who she wanted to be. She was born in Aquarius in Bulgaria on January 31st, 1911. However, there is some controversy on what we should consider her true birth date. What do you know about Bulgarian naming and birthing traditions, RJ? Uh, very little. Okay. You want to learn? Sure. This, I have to say, this episode, Baba Vanga is un... You cannot separate her from Slavic like traditions and culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really big part of why in America it's hard to find stuff about her because she's so fucking Bulgarian. Just like every part of her is Bulgarian. So there's going to be a lot of talking about the culture and kind of looking at different traditions as part of her story to understand it. 
Part of Bulgarian traditions is not naming a child that is born until it shows signs that it will survive. This is often identified by the first time a child cries. I mean, that that's a pretty fair uh, rule. Yeah, right. Especially in 1911. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that makes sense. Baba Vanga did not cry until March 26th. According to astrology, the birth of a child happens after four events that have occurred, which I did not know this, but I found in my research. Starting with the removal of the fetus, then cutting of the umbilical cord, then the first deep breath of the child, and finally the first loud cry. If her final indication of birth did not happen until March 26th, can we really say that she was born before March 26th? I have no idea. I, I don't mean, know the answer. That I, that entire that's entirely cultural. So I would say we just default to uh, what Baba Vanga says her birthday is, which is probably the Bulgarian traditional birthday. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, she's either an Aquarius or an Aries. And I think if you know anything about astrology, the more you listen to her story, you will see that she's probably a little bit of both. Um, In any case, the moment our young, nameless baby gave her first indication of being strong enough to live and let her first screaming wail out to the void, her mother was so thrilled she ran into the streets and asked what to name her child. The first response was Andromaha, or man fighter in Greek. Her family was very proud of their Bulgarian roots and decided this was too Greek for their daughter. The next suggestion was Vangelia, or messenger that brings good news, which is a bit more fitting for the life she would lead. I mean, is that not just the beginning of a self-fulfilling prophecy? She had an incredibly hard early life. I'm not letting you derail this story. It's an incredible (laughs) story, and it's riveting. And like I said, this is the story I could find. So this is what I'm telling you. She had an incredibly hard early life with her father being enlisted in the Bulgarian army during World War I and her mother dying shortly after his enlistment. This time in Eastern European history was fraught with revolution, starvation, and poverty for the people and war. Her family was caught in between government uprisings and was punished for her father's pro-Bulgarian action. They had all their belongings and property confiscated by the Yugoslavian government. This catapulted her family into poverty for years to come. Then, one day... Divine intervention struck. Vangelia was 12 years old and on her daily errand to fetch milk to sell in town with two of her cousins, the three girls stopped to drink from a stream when a tornado touched down and swept Vangelia into the air. Yeet. They found her an hour later in a field, meters away from where she was taken, her face and eyes completely caked with sand and dirt. She got taken straight to Oz. She was unable to open her eyes without excruciating pain. She was unable to find relief from her injuries, and the damage was so bad. A man in her village said he could try performing surgery to correct them. Her family, still impoverished, did everything they could to afford the surgery. After selling as many items as they could, they could only afford a partial surgery to fix the external damage to her face and eyes. But her eyesight was untreatable, and she went blind slowly over the course of months and years. Okay. At the age of 14, she was sent to a school for the blind where she learned how to complete basic tasks like cooking and cleaning, as well as more enriching things like playing the piano, knitting, and reading Braille. Vangelia was only ever semi-literate in Bulgarian and Serbian Braille. So she never learned how to read. She never learned how to write. She never really learned how to read Braille. Um, this poses some issues when we're looking for her prophecies now, because unlike Nostradamus, she didn't leave a book behind. She didn't write a book of all of her prophecies and leave it for everyone. Um, one of the one of the trends that that I have seen, especially like with with Mormonism, 
because Joseph Smith was an incredible storyteller, but a not, not a particularly literate person. So he would have his uh, his words transcribed by somebody. Mm-hmm. And so you have this now extra layer of not, multiple people working on this and giving like interpretations on uh, what is being said. And it sort of telephones uh, what what is being transcribed sometimes. Yeah. Um, we'll get to kind of how it all occurs later on. But she had assistants that would write things down and that would manage her clients and stuff. So they were mostly the ones that did it. But, yeah, there's no – Vangelia wrote this down and this is what she predicted. We don't have that. Her time in school was the most luxurious of her life. They were all required to wear uniform, uniforms, take cultural classes, and have regular meals. Her family was so impoverished that dinner was often cabbage, cornbread, and diluted sour milk. Of course, that was when there was dinner to be had. Her relationship with music and piano playing was something magical. The notes and her ability to play them became a new way to associate with a world that felt alien to her. The music described moments she could no longer see and allowed her to experience them in a new way. Vangelia even fell in love at school. When she wrote home to her father asking for permission to marry her love, he wrote back informing her that her stepmother had died and she needed to return home to care for the three children that were left behind. Just pretty much the way kind of a thing. Yeah, ain't ain't that just a way. So at 17, she returned home to her family to care for her siblings. Of course, her return to her village was full of grief and hardship. She had grown to really love her stepmother and was weighed down with the grief Grief of loss and inescapable poverty. Her father and young brothers at the time, four and six, were sent into town to try to make money or at least bring food home, doing shepherding and farm work. So her, uh, where she was in Yugoslavia slash Bulgaria, because it's interchangeable pretty much in this story um, because of all the revolutions, it was a huge shepherding town. That's basically all they did was like farming. And And, and even today, I don't think Yugoslavia existed. Um, it doesn't exist now. It might still be Bulgaria, but it might also be Russia. Like when we talk about this period of time, literally in this, in her story, like what I'm able to cover in depth, there are like four different, um, transitions of government basically before she turns 45. Like when I worked at the, uh, pharmaceutical research clinic, I was friends with a a doctor who was from Yugoslavia who like came to America because he was a smarty pants um, mm-hmm. to to be uh, a doctor. He was basically like a refugee that was allowed in yeah. because of his intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's yep, that's the thing. Um, so the youngest child was a girl named Layabka. Evangelia and Lubka took care of the house and wove fabrics, sewed, knitted, and crocheted items. People from the town would bring food and small housewares in exchange for the sewing and weaving work. So it was often that they were like making making, in quotes, the most money while her father was out working um, as a shepherd and her brothers were out doing anything they could to find food. But the point of this is, is like they were extraordinarily and like cripplingly impoverished. Vangelia had already shown an aptitude for foresight and was always viewed as a wise young woman. It is a tradition in the Sturmus region, which is where she was in Yugoslavia, Bulgaria, that part of the world, to celebrate St. George's Day on May 6th with a delva. Have you ever heard of St. George's Day? Uh, no, uh, just the uh, just the old people town in southern Utah. Yeah, that's so I 
had no idea. So this is about St. George (laughs) or St. George's Day. Just in case our listeners are as clueless about St. George's Day as I am, this is is from the Wikipedia on South Slavic tradition and Balkan Spring Festivals during St. George's Day. Possibly the most celebrated name day in Bulgaria, St. George's Day is a public holiday that takes place on the 6th of May each year. A common ritual is to prepare and eat a whole lamb, which is an ancient practice possibly related to Slavic pagan sacrificial traditions and the fact that St. George is the patron saint of shepherds. It is also believed to be a magical day when all evil spells can be broken. It was believed that the saint helps the crops to grow and blesses the morning dew. So early in the morning, they walked into the pastures and meadows and collected dew, washed their face and hands and feet in it for good luck. And even in some rural parts of Bulgaria, it was a custom to roll in the dew naked. I'm mm. boring RJ, so he's on his phone. Uh, no, I'm just uh, verifying where Bulgaria is on a map. Okay, where is it? Uh, so it's beneath Romania, next to Serbia, next to Greece, mm-hmm. and Turkey. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, that part of the world. Yeah, so it's like uh, the Balkans is what it's called. But it's like Mediterranean turning into, like, Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even though I've told you about the day, I can't actually find any information on what a delva is. I no idea. So my best guess is based on contextual clues from the website and that Google translated from Russian is that they would set up a wine station and they would soak cloths in wine from May 6th to the 7th. And then they would select an oracle to divine from the young women in the town. The women in the town, the women in her town would often select Vangelia, but not necessarily because they believed that she was a true oracle. It just was basically because of her disability and poverty. They were like, oh, let the blind girl have some fun. She can be the so they oracle. were doing oinomancy. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm pretty sure it. Like the information basically was like they would take the wine, they would take the tags and soak them in wine, and the next day Vanga would collect them and read them. So I believe it's oinomancy, like yeah. a kind of it. Um. So. After this, after these events, when they were like, oh, your divinations are actually like weirdly accurate and she could predict people's dreams. She knew what was happening to them in their dreams. She would visit them in dreams. People were kind of like, maybe she knows what she's doing. Like maybe she's a real psychic. So Vangelia's father was constantly worried and consumed with his financial responsibility and his family's inability to make ends meet. He often talked about a dream of becoming a fortune hunter. And stumbling upon a bunch of money, which, yeah. Okay. Oh, like a like a, a treasure hunter. Mm-hmm. Like he wanted to just go find a bunch of money. He was like, what if that could happen for me? And like, I mean, this was a big thing um, in America for a while where, where people would be like show up with dowsing rods and they'd be like, I'm a treasure finder. Mm-hmm. Let me find treasure on your land. And they would pay this treasure finder to just like walk around in circles um, and – try to douse out some treasure yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely um so one day vangelia told her father that she knew of a place that had a great many old coins buried it was located not far from strumus an abandoned village on the bank of a river a sparse forest a sharp toothed rock rose between the river and the forest and the money according to vangelia was buried under it Her father let out a loud laugh and then noticed that Vangelia was quiet and sullen. She was serious. She really believed that she knew where this money was. He asked her how she knew, and she answered that she saw it in a dream. Mm 
Ooh, now we're doing O'Neromancy. Uh, what what do you do if you're just like really impoverished and um your daughter who's blind comes to you and is like, Dad, I know where the money is. I know where so much money is. I mean, A, like what else are you gonna do? B, um, like uh, we find that these like tumultuous conditions, like the, um, how do I put this? Hard times make magic more viable, uh, more viable as, of an option for people, uh, mm-hmm. because they need hope mm-hmm. and magic is a, uh, producer of hope. Yeah. Uh, so I, you do what gives you hope that keeps you going. Yeah. So probably like, you know, like, fuck it. Got nothing to lose. Guess I'm going to go dig for a coin. One coin. (laughs) After he paused and reflected, he remembered that there really was a place like that. The abandoned village of Rayensi, I think, had been ravaged by a plague and and the people never went back. It stood long dead on the banks of the Riskavata Rivulet. <laughs> These names are so hard. I'm so sorry, you guys. Riskavata Rivulet. Yes. I, and I, I copied that because I and I was like, does it really mean rivulet or does it mean river? And I decided to leave it. So okay. could be a Google Riv- Translate. Rivulet. Well, a rivulet is a it's a water. It's like a stream. A synonym yeah. is a stream, a brook, a creek, a gully, a, a gully or a burn. A crick. A crick. So I therefore was like, OK, I think this is what they meant. Indeed. There was both a forest and a rock. There was a rock inside of the forest, which clearly. Oh, man. They loaded up the family and went for an adventure. Everything was just as Vangelia had described. Seeing this, her father promised to come back with a shovel and dig up their treasure. Why would you not just bring the shovel the first time? I don't know. Well, probably for him, he was like, this is going to be just like something to... Make the, to bring the family together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess yeah, he should have brought the shovel the first time if the whole plan was to just like go there and find the coins. But also, not bringing the shovel means that when they get there and it's not like she said, then uh, they won't have to dig and then be disappointed when they find nothing. So I could I could kind of see like leaving the shovel behind on purpose. <laughs> I I think the thing that's super hard about her dad is you just like. He's just this, like, really world-weary man. Like, he just has lived through a lot, and he can't ever get his family. Like, he can't ever do anything better for his family. He sent Vanga away to the um, school because um, literally someone in the village was like, you know that they will feed her, right? If you send her there, she will be fed. And that was something that he didn't know how he was going to do. He had no idea how he was going to feed his daughter. So it was literally like, I'm going to send her away to the school and maybe never see her again so she can eat. I mean, that's how it works in America for a lot of kids. Yeah. So Uh, like when you hear about like child student lunch debt, it's exactly as insidious as it sounds. Because a lot of times really poor families send their kids to school because the school will feed them. Yeah, and they can't. At least they get, yeah, one or two meals a day, often two, if they're, like, in those programs. Yeah, so that's just kind of where he was at. Um, And, you know, this was, like, 
a small little piece of hope for the family. Of course, you can't possibly think that this is their way out of poverty. Her father fell and broke his arm, making him unable to dig. By the time he had healed enough to go back, they'd blocked off the river and made a reservoir. If there was any money buried there, it stayed buried and then became submerged, left for luckier people to find in the future. Uh, so are we going to go get the Baba Vanga treasure? Yeah, we should. We should. I kind of want to go just we see this. Go scuba dive in Bulgaria. Fuck yeah. Uh, uh, inside a <laughs> reservoir that was built on top of a plague town. Yeah, of course. Why not? If you find money there, it's probably worth a lot because it's probably the only money that they have. Like The, the only... moment you get there, it's just a level from the darkest dungeon. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just, like plague zombies, like fucking skeletons and fish people. Yeah, absolutely. The next thing Vangelia would predict would be much more concrete and verifiable. Her father lost the sheep he was tending one day. He came home incredibly upset, obviously unable to pay the shepherd for the lost sheep. Vangelia reassured him, saying that a sheep was stolen by the man of the vil- in the village, Monastova. She described his appearance in detail. Her father was amazed. He didn't know anyone that looked like that in the village, and even more so, Vangelia, who didn't even leave their yard, couldn't know him. And she didn't know anyone in that village at all. Surprised and a bit disturbed, he began to question his daughter in more detail. And she replied that she had dreamed all this. She said that she often dreamed horrible and unpleasant things and that they always came true. Her father went to the village and not only found the man, but also found that the missing sheep had been stolen by him, as she described. This is believed to be the, be the beginning of her clairvoyance developing. Okay. So she's like, Papa, Papa, I see terrible things. Papa, the sheep. She's been stolen by a wicked man. She's not, like, I think the thing um, about Vangelia is that she's just this fucking woman who sees shit. She's blind and she sees shit. She's not, like, out here to be the greatest psychic. Like, that was never her thing. And we'll find that more when we get into her story. She gets older. This is basically just telling how Evangelia became Baba Vanga, how she became known for what she is. And I'm sure, as is so often the case, people take the things she says and does and just spins the shit out of it. I don't know. Probably. But I think also these stories that I'm telling you, I found on five different sources. I mean, like, everything that I'm telling you is things that were not just backed up by Wikipedia and not just by the Encyclopedia Baba Vanga. This is stuff that is, like, through several different lenses, through the um, kind of stories and the tellings and the rememberings of a lot of different people. So there's, you know, obviously this is dramatized because the amount of information I have access to is limited. But these are things that happened, and this is kind of how she became what she was. So, Okay. In 1939, Vangelia fell ill with pleurisy, a respiratory condition that is marked by the two layers of tissue that separate the lungs from the chest wall becoming inflamed. This often develops from the flu or pneumonia. And even more, it's with impoverished people who can't heal because you can't eat anything or there's nothing for you to eat because you're impoverished and there's no treatment, there's no medicine, that kind of stuff. So Vangelia was on death's door again. 
For eight months, she laid in bed, only getting out when her younger sister, Layabka, would put her in a wheelbarrow and take her to the street on sunny days. Take me for a ride. Just load her up. And actually, I'm pretty sure it's a wheelbarrow, but on uh, wheelbarrow, wow. But on the website, it said a trough. She would put her in a trough and take her to the street. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a wheelbarrow is like a trough with a wheel. Yeah, so I was like, I'm pretty sure because it was very hard for me to imagine like little Layabka, um, like plopping Evangelia into a trough and like dragging her out. So... (laughs) Wheelbarrow. Uh, that's what I decided it probably was. Um, the village doctor would see her occasionally and would only warn her family that she didn't have long for this world. One day, Vangelia took a turn for the worse, and her family called to have her final rites performed. The next day, people in the town began collecting money for the blind beggar girl's funeral. Two days later, her younger sister went to the well to collect water. When she came home, Vangelia was out of bed and sweeping. She urged Lyabka to get to cleaning because she had seen a vision. They would have many visitors soon. So she just was better. She was like, all right, well, I have shit to do now. So start cleaning. She just healed out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the things that you will find consistently, no matter where you look about for her story or where you find information about her story, is that she was ill and she almost died. She was ill for eight months and somehow made a recovery in 1939. Okay. So, yeah. 1939 brought mass unrest in the beginnings of strikes and division in political parties and governments before World War II. Yugoslavia slash Bulgaria had massive civil unrest, resulting in several arrests, including the arrest of her father. In 1940, Lyubka fell ill with meningitis and almost died. In November of 1940, her father did die. He developed lesions on his skin and blood poisoning. Poisoning. Yeah, that's uh, I, I'm sure the Bulgarian prisons were not uh, kind to him. Yeah. Well, he did not die in prison. He was arrested and released. And then the lesions, though, make me kind of wonder. He probably developed some sort of, um, like, he got an infection because he had blood poisoning. But I'm wondering if it wasn't, like, HIV or something like that. Like, well, when you look at things like, you know, the witch trials, a lot of them died from diseases that they contracted while yeah. they were imprisoned in prison. because of the poor conditions in the prison. And a lot of times, even after people get released, they die of parasites and diseases mm-hmm. uh, that, that developed. Uh, there's this one crazy parasite that was in uh, some Civil War prisons that was like a worm that just slices into your skin uh, I think it's called like like red worm, ringworm, or something. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's ringworm, but it just like burrows into your skin. And ringworm just, does that, and it gives you little yes rings. Yeah, yeah. that's what it does. So, yeah. So a lot of the prisoners of war during the Civil War were just had these parasites. One of my sorority sisters, when I was in college, got ringworm while she was working a summer internship for this like company that did. Um, uh, wet marathons where they would like spray people with water and like dump water on them while they were running and she developed ringworm from that so there you go <sighs> <laughs> Pandy died November 4th 1940 starving and his family so impoverished they could not pay the burial fees 
The priest of the church decided to bury him for free after a neighbor told him of the circumstances. Pandy's final request for his children was to have a Bulgarian soldier stick his bayonet into the ground over his grave the day that Bulgaria was once again claimed by the patriots who were still fighting for their country, so he would know that his great country had risen again. Like, their Bulgarian, like, roots and patriotism was pretty much everything to them. Like, really and truly, that was that was the thing for their family, which I think is a big part of why it's hard to find information about it now. Well, you find a lot of these these countries that have this kind of war. People, like, write stuff down, but a lot of times the things they write down are super biased, and sometimes the things that they write down are destroyed by the other side or vice versa. Yeah, and I think – so I, I guess I have a hard time, like, in a personal way, identifying with such patriotism. But basically their entire culture and everything that they were was like slow – was being fought over and was being like, well, that's not right. You have to do it my way. And so I think that patriotism for them was almost a way of holding on to who they are, right? And that was – Yeah, I'm sure they had some kind of national identity. And when you when you look at this particular time in history, um, the, these parts of uh, Europe uh, and the Mediterranean were uh, – they were tough times. This was World War II times. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Just, yeah. 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 Okay. The whole year of 1940 passed in anxiety and uncertainty. Just like at the beginning of COVID, food was disappearing. The rich were panic buying and put, making it impossible for impoverished to buy food that they actually needed to eat right then. Vanga pushed her neighbors and community to donate to the Church of the 15 Holy Martyrs. She... Vanga was incredibly religious. She was somehow like this psychic medium who saw beyond the veil of time and predicted things about the end of the world in 5,000 years and was also incredibly religious and like wanted her final rites as an Orthodox. Um, I think it was, yeah, Russian Orthodox was their uh, religion. Uh, when you When you see what churches are doing in these poorer countries uh, a lot of times it's humanitarian so yes so here actually a big part of this that i kind of there's so much information that i was like picking and choosing and knowing that we were going to have conversation like throughout it so vangelia um, and her family often went to the church to receive food very, very often. That was a lot of times how they made enough, um, how they made ends meet. That was how they afforded to eat food. And when they would do things for trade, she would take that in. She would donate money if she had extra money to the church to help the rest of her community. And things like leaving your town, leaving your village, leaving your community, those were basically taboo. Those were things that you didn't do because the only thing you had was your community. And your community was like your your family, basically. So for her saying like, the poor people need to fucking donate because we're not going to have any money and our town is going to be destroyed. Like that's what she was telling people. And she was telling them at the beginning, in 1940 because she predicted World War II happening in April of 1941. So ahead of time, like the whole year before it happened, she was like, we need to be donating any extra money we have because shit's about to get really real. So that was her thing. Um, she saw that the world would begin in 1941, and she knew that only the community could save itself. The World War would begin in 1941. Well, specifically World War II. 
but yeah. she was she knew that the war was happening. And specifically, she's talking about the war coming into Yugoslavia and Bulgaria because it was already happening. Conflicts were already going on. Everyone could see everything that was happening. And like um, a big part of why her dad was well a big part of why Bulgaria and Yugoslavia was targeted by the Nazis is because before World War II started when they were rising in like 1939 1938 Bulgaria was like eh, we don't like the Nazis like they condemned the Nazis they were like this doesn't feel like a thing that we should be doing so they were targeted as a country by the Nazis because of that during World War II so they were one of those countries like Poland that basically got ransacked by them yeah well also so, like, because they had a lot of internal conflict, it made them oh, so v- weak. very juicy and conquerable. Yes, very, very um, conquerable. But, yeah, so Baba Vanga was just like, stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. RJ is upset because I haven't given him any opportunities to have jokes in this. And he's just been <laughs> waiting. He's like, I'm so funny. Let me be funny. Anyway, yes. So that was a big part of it. Like the world war was coming. The war was coming into her country. And that was the bigger concern, not what was happening around her or around the other countries, but for her community, for her country. She's like Commander Shepard, like trying to warn the Council of the Reapers. And they're like, the Reapers are a myth, Commander Shepard. Come back when you have evidence. Uh, But she was like, no, the Reapers are coming. And then the Reapers show up. I'm sorry, you've never played Mass Effect. I haven't. So I'm just um. <laughs> looking at RJ with the blink. I'm like, okay, yeah, for sure. Yes, she just was like predicting this and was like, we have to fucking save ourselves. Don't think for a second these fucking rich people with all of their food that they're keeping from us, from everything that they're panic buying, they're not going to be the ones that take care of us. Yeah, it's the rich will us. never save you. So it was basically like, let's make a community savings account to take care of each other and make sure that we have food, make sure that we have enough money. Um, she even predicted that there would be a bomb that would destroy the village or that something would destroy the village and that they were going to have to pay to rebuild it. So that's what she was like telling people like, hey, we really need to make sure that we're taking care of this. At the beginning of 1941, a man in knight's armor appeared to Vangelia. She recalls her experience with this. He was tall, fair-haired, and divinely handsome, which is always helpful. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) His armor of an ancient warrior shone in the moonlight. A horse with a fluttering white tail was digging the ground with its hooves. The writer stopped in the courtyard, dismounted, and entered the dark room, like came into the house. And then he said, my name, Jeff. He emitted (laughs) such a light that the house became as bright as day. Turning to Vanga, the guest said in a deep voice, soon everything will turn upside down in this world. Many people will die. You will stay here and broadcast about the living and the dead. Do not be afraid. I will be there. I will always help you. This night was only seen by Evangelia, and he gave her the first inklings of what she would mean to the world. Mm, I mean, I've heard this story before. Um, you know, the angel came to Joseph Smith. The angel told me that we've got a... It wasn't uh, an angel. It was a knight. I mean, same difference. It's 
this is a, this is a, a tried and true uh, story of prophecy. Well, how the fuck do you think you're supposed to know that you're the chosen one, RJ? You have to fucking <laughs> have someone tell it's you. True. What you, the you, fuck? You, like you need Hagrid oh, to show up with a letter. I'm so tired <laughs> of this totally normal and actual like functioning uh, method of whatever the fuck. Like, of course, it's the thing that happens all the time. But how the fuck do you know you're chosen if God doesn't tell you? How are you supposed to know? Um. I guess you wouldn't know. Yeah. yeah. So you you wouldn't know. You you require you require the a vision, I guess. Of, well, she's a fucking clairvoyant. How else would it show up? A letter that she can't read? Um you know, an animal could come and deliver it. A burning bush perhaps. Or a night. <laughs> or a night. Yeah. Just as Vangelia predicted, April 8th, 1941, German troops crossed the Yugoslav border. Vangelia's entire town fled their houses except her and Layabka. The citizens hid in the forest, behind trees and rocks, in the caves, anywhere they could to escape the Nazis. As the village hid, the Nazis looted everything they could, tearing apart cupboards, beds, dressers, leaving nothing unturned and nothing behind for the impoverished villagers. When they came to Vangelia's home, they found nothing to take. All the men in the village were either mobilized, killed, or kidnapped for forced labor camps in Germany. Days passed, and the women and children of the village started returning home. They all knew Evangelia and her gifts, and of course, they had believed that she had been touched by the devil and cursed. The gossip mill in the village was was vicious, as they so often are. But this day, when they went back home to their ransacked village, anything valuable pocketed, Food stolen, houses and lives turned over by the Nazis. On this day, the town gathered in Vangelia's yard and listened to the prophetess's first public readings. She listed every man who was missing and told his family where he was, if he was alive and dead, or dead, and when he'd be coming home. If he'd be coming home. So started the transformation of Vangelia into Baba Vanga, the Balkan Nostradamus. And that is where we'll pick up next week. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this is, I mean, this is a pretty standard prophet origin story. Like, fuck you. It's so interesting. This is like, you have no idea. You have no idea what I had to go through to fucking find this story, to fucking write it. Fuck you for thinking that it's basic. It's a good story. I really uh, no, hope you get hate mail for that, for being a, like, it's fine. It is a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, you know, a whole lot of chosen ones out there. Uh, well, of course. I mean, you can't have, like, Jesus isn't real, right? You're not going to have one person that's going to save the world. It takes a lot of people to do that work uh but so often history uh, a lot of times the way we tell it is a story of great men doing great things when more accurately it's a story of regular people all doing regular things just slightly one direction or the other collectively and i think that's when we talk about this next week we'll see that yeah Like, that's the fucking case is that she didn't fucking care. She wasn't doing this to become rich. She wasn't doing this. Like, she had fucking politicians show up and she'd be like, I don't have anything to say to you. She'd probably go now. And if they wouldn't, she'd fucking fall asleep on her couch. She did not give a single fuck. No, yeah, she straight up would be like, well, I'm going to go to sleep then if you're not going to leave and just would fall asleep on her couch. Like, people would come to her from everywhere. We'll talk about the kinds of people that would come to see her. And she would be like, 
I don't think I have anything that you want to hear. <laughs> so she just wouldn't tell them. So I know that it's dramatized and it's a lot, but that that really and truly is the thing. That was how she became known was because people couldn't find their loved ones. They couldn't find people that were lost to the forced labor camps. They couldn't find people that had been killed. They just weren't sure where anyone was. So people from all over Yugoslavia started showing up and saying, can you tell me where these people are? Can you tell me what happened to my son? And she would know. And she was always right. She was always right. Always right as we know. Well, that's what's right. So why don't you go ahead and hop on your machine and tell me what you can find about that? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Like that's the thing. I I will do my best, but um, there's so much missing information, but a lot of like what they say with these predictions is that if she predicted that someone was going to come home at this, at a certain time, they showed up. And like one of her predictions was literally this one was like, my husband is gone. I can't find my husband anywhere. He's probably been killed. And Baba Vanga was like, One, calm down. Two, he's coming home tonight. Three, that bitch is going to be naked. Four, he's going to be hungry. So just go home, get his, like, clothes ready, put some dinner out, and wait for him to come home. And this guy fucking rolled up, like, literally that night, like, eight hours later, and he was starving and naked, and he was like, I had to hide in the well, and I couldn't get out of the well because the Nazis were coming, so I waited until I knew for sure that they were gone, and then I just came straight here. And he was like... How did you know I didn't have clothes and was hungry? And so there's a lot of like, I mean, if you go through all of her prophecies and all of these like anecdotes or anecdotes about what she predicted and how she saw it, there's literally so many that I could sit here and tell you about them for hours, like all of the stories. So, yeah, that was what believed. That was what Rose, that was what gave her her um, reputation. Okay. Are you going to do a Baba Vanga reading? Nope. I'm going to save them for the next one. So you're going to do two in the next episode. I already told you this is what I was going to do. Uh, yeah, but we didn't tell the listeners. I'm sure they could figure out that I'm not starting a reading right now. <laughs> yes. So we're going to talk about specifically how Baba Vanga read people and what that process was. And then I'm going to do two readings in the next episode just because I was nervous about how long this script was so far. But I didn't let RJ talk, so it went pretty quick. um so hit us up on patreon i'll do a reading for you on the show using whatever divination method we're covering um patreon.com slash mancy also if you liked the show please share with your friends the more support we have the more episodes we can make if you want a reading from me you can find me on etsy at laurels of lux at laurels of or email me at laurels of at gmail.com RJ? Um, if you like my shit, um, <laughs> you can pick up books at rjwalkerpoet.com. And also, I make TikToks for the show, uh, Mancy Podcast. And they're really Mancy good. Mancy Podcast on TikTok. Um, so, the music that we have for this episode is Hayden Folker, or in order of appearance, is Hayden Folker, Arthi Vinka, Miyu, and Scott Buckley, with a special thank you to Make Out Videotape for your phenomenal Baba Vanga song. Yes, so his band has a band camp, which is makeoutvideotape.bandcamp.com. You can download a bunch of stuff. His entire album is free. The artist now works under the name Mac DiMarco. He's actually kind of a pretty big deal. He's got like a pretty big show coming up um, this summer. 
with some big artists. But yeah, go give him a listen and send him some love.